0: Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in. Over here. With a friend and found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu.
1: The Exxon radio show is heard on radio broadcast affiliates worldwide, including AM 580 CFRA in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, WPUL AM 1590 in Daytona Beach, Florida. K-O-H-I AM 1610 in St. Helens, Oregon. K-H-R-O AM 1150 in El Paso, Texas. And for more information on becoming a professional broadcast affiliate of the Exxon Radio Show, visit www.xzbn.net or call toll-free worldwide 1-800-610-7035. And welcome back, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon Radio Show on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and Ustream. Toll free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at com On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour, Exonation, is Dr. David E. Guggenheim. He is a marine scientist, con- uh, conservation policy specialist, submarine pilot, and ocean explorer. He is president of One Planet, One Ocean, a project of the Ocean Foundation, where he is a senior fellow and director of its Cuba Marine Research and Conservation Programme. He is currently uh, leading a major project to elevate collaboration in marine science and conservation among Cuba, Mexico, and the U.S. to a new level and leading the first ever comprehensive research and conservation program in Cuba's Gulf of Mexico region, a joint effort with the University of Havana. Joining me now from Washington, D.C. is Dr. Guggenheim. And uh, Dr. Guggenheim, welcome to the Exxon, sir. Great pleasure having you here.
3: Thank you Rob thanks
1: so much for having me uh, dr the big news undoubtedly around uh, the uh, the Gulf of Mexico throughout the United States Canada and Central America is the disaster the catastrophe that is happening to the waters because of the BP oil fiasco and and tell me sir since you're since you're involved in that specific area, of the thick areas, <laughs> tell me how you feel. Tell me, tell me how you f- really feel.
3: Uh, I feel the same way that that your listeners feel. I'm sure. I feel terrible. I feel that this is something that not only affects uh, an amazing mm-hmm. ecosystem, but it affects me personally. And we're all connected to the oceans, even if we live far inland. The oceans help us breathe every day of our lives and give us food, and um, they're just uh, an incredibly important resource. I've spent most of my career trying to protect one part or another of the Gulf of Mexico. I've spent a lot of time in in Florida. I've worked in Mexico, and as you mentioned, I've been working in Cuba the last ten years, and the thing that I found about the Gulf of Mexico is that it is far more vibrant than even I could have imagined. And that makes the tragedy that much worse because it's it's not a brown, muddy cauldron where hurricanes come from. It's much more. I've seen some of the bluest, clearest water I've ever seen anywhere in the world in the Gulf of Mexico and coral reefs, whales, dolphins, birds, Um uh, that just, to me, is um, it makes it that much more of a tragedy.
1: Doctor, please stand by. We have to take a commercial break. ExoNation, Our very special guest this hour is Doctor David Guggenheim. www.therenumberoneplanetthenumberoneocean. dot That's one dot org. We'll be back. You don't want to miss this hour. Uh, yeah. donation, Dr. David Guggenheim is our special guest, www.oneplanetoneocean.org. That's the number one, then the word planet, number one, ocean.org. Also known as the Ocean Doctor and host of Expedition Cast podcast a series, Dr. Guggenheim is currently engaged in a special expedition to all 50 states visiting schools, and bringing special programs about the ocean exploration and conservation to young students. So far, he has traveled more than 35,000 miles, visited 13 states, made 39 speeches, and reached more than 10,000 students in schools, ranging from the uh, northernmost community in North America, Barrow, Alaska, to Maxville, Kansas, close to the geographic center of the lower 48 states to the southern tip of Florida. Once again, www.oneplanetoneocean.org. You know, Doctor, we see the images of oil-covered birds and other wildlife, but there are many impacts of this massive oil spill we're probably not seeing. What can you tell us about uh, what this oil spill is to the Gulf, and and will it recover?
3: Well, you know, the problem is that as, as heartbreaking as these images are of all of these birds and dolphins that we can see, mm-hmm. there's so much more that we just can't see. This is an oil spill that is impacting every, every part of the spectrum in the food chain, in that whole ecosystem fabric. And we are especially concerned about the use of dispersant because it doesn't make the oil disappear. It's not vanishing cream. It just turns it into smaller droplets, which then move further downstream and stay deep in the water where they can infiltrate the food chain either in the deep water corals, in the deep water critters that live in the bottom, or in the microscopic plankton that float in the water column. So we may be looking at a problem that is spread out over thousands of square miles and lasts for generations. The the question of recovery, I mean, we've seen nature do some remarkable things. Mother Nature is remarkably resilient, and we do hope that she can bounce back once again. But the problem is the Gulf already had a lot of problems going into this, and uh, one of those problems has been overfishing Another being a dead zone, the size of the state of New Jersey, due to nutrient pollution coming down the Mississippi, along with many other things. So there's concern that maybe the system just isn't as resilient as it needs to be to recover from something that is still growing in in magnitude.
1: What happens to a lot of the species that were endangered or still are endangered in the Gulf of Mexico? How is the... The the damage the the pollution that is going on in, in the thousands of barrels each and every day going to affect the the survival of certain species.
3: Well, the impact to a species like pelicans is pretty obvious. Now the we the, pe- the brown pelican is an icon of a great success story. We protected the brown pelican, which was highly endangered back in the '60s due to DDT. And it's made a wonderful recovery all throughout the Gulf of Mexico, but you can see what happens when a pelican does what you know it, it, it needs to do for a living—diving into the water when that water is covered with oil. It it uh, puts itself in a very very uh, risky situation, and many of them die. But the the other critters that are at risk in in the Gulf of Mexico, many of them are fish, and and invertebrates, uh, corals, for example. We've already lost worldwide about 25% of the world's corals. Uh, And in the Florida Keys, for example, we've lost almost 50% of those corals. Coral is an animal. It has to make a living too. It eats plankton and uses photosynthesis. And the problem is this oil can enter the food chain at just about any level and as these uh, as these organisms concentrate that uh, in the food chain, the toxicity of that chemical of the of the harmful okay. chemicals within the oil concentrate uh, bioaccumulate in the tissue, and they bio magnify, which means the concentration grows every time something eats something smaller than it. So that's why I express concern about the fact that this could be a problem we see for generations.
1: Now, you've described this as an international incident and have expressed concern about the oil reaching areas hundreds or thousands of miles downstream, including Cuba. Is this still a threat?
3: Yes. In fact, earlier today, NOAA has released, NOAA being the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they've released their latest models that are projecting where this oil is likely to go. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with the model is only looking at, uh, it's primarily looking at surface oil, and it's not really taking into account the use of those dispersants. So there's a huge unknown associated with this. But uh, that being, as it may, if you look at the models and where this oil is likely to go, uh, it will eventually get caught up into the loop current, and that loop current takes, takes the water and anything floating in it, such as oil, south toward the northwestern coast of Cuba before making a major turn to the east, up through the Florida Keys, the east coast of Florida, including Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and that area, before heading offshore into what becomes the uh, the current that heads over to uh, to Europe and the uh, the Gulf Stream. But along the way, there is likely to be significant impact because all of that oil is, as I said before, is not magically disappearing. They're only able to capture a small amount of it, and that oil is is of great concern. My work has been uh, primarily in Cuba over the last 10 years, and the thing about Cuba is that it's like a time machine. It's like going back 500 years to see what Christopher Columbus saw. I was absolutely shocked to see healthy corals, the healthiest marine ecosystems I've seen anywhere, And the hope is to learn from those and learn from those about what Cuba's doing right or what's unique about its situation Mm -hmm. so we can restore corals in our own backyard and around the world. Wouldn't it be tragic if we lost those corals due to this oil spill?
1: It certainly would. You know, we've also heard stories about enormous quantities of methane gas being released uh, along with the oil. Why is this of concern? Wouldn't the methane gas just float to the top of the uh, ocean and disperse in the air?
3: Indeed, a lot of the methane does do just that. It bubbles to the surface, as you might expect. But along the journey from a mile down, a lot of that gas dissolves into the water column. And apparently, there is a significant amount of gas. Normally, you get about a 5% fraction of the blowout, including natural gas. Here, I've heard estimates as high as 40% of what's coming out as natural gas. It's very highly concentrated. It's a carbon compound, which means it's an organic material and it's food for hungry bacteria, which is good news because the bacteria in the water column that are eager to eat all that stuff up along with oil. Mm -hmm. The problem is when they, when they munch on the, on that gas and on the oil, that's a process that uses oxygen, and it takes oxygen out of the water column and robs the oxygen from other cree- other creatures that need it, and, and especially creatures like fish, which have gills and breathe oxygen through their gills from the water. And as a result, you have conditions already, scientists have measured background concentrations of methane 10,000 times higher than normal and oxygen levels in these areas have dropped to less than 25% of what's normal. And as if that weren't bad enough, there's already an area of low oxygen. This dead zone that I, that I mentioned yes. earlier, this is a dead zone and it's caused by the same thing. It's all of this nutrient pollution, fertilizers coming from 38 of the U.S. states, two Canadian provinces, 40% of the continental U.S. drains into the Mississippi, and that's a lot of nutrients and fertilizer, and those fertilizers do exactly the same thing in the Gulf of Mexico that they do on the farms and in your backyard. They make plants grow In, in the water. They make algae grow. When that algae dies, it's the same situation as oil and gas. The bacteria go to work on it, and that robs the water column of oxygen. It's the second largest dead zone in the world, second only to one in the Baltic Sea, where really nothing can live.
1: Unbelievable. What is the you know, with all the with all the bacteria growing, what's the ultimate? Uh, what's the worst that can happen?
3: Well, the the worst that can happen is I'm afraid is already starting to happen and we're seeing the size of that dead zone continue to grow and you know a lot of well-meaning folks have suggested why don't we use these naturally occurring bacteria to get rid of the oil Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense but it comes at a cost and that's the problem of of oxygen now there's some other folks who have suggested why don't we put bubble curtains in the water that would serve a number of purposes it would it would oxygenate the water and therefore help keep the oxygen levels up it might help prevent wildlife from going in the wrong direction and it might actually create a physical barrier to keep oil from coming on shore and i hear they're actually going to try this out in uh i believe it's Destin, florida uh, as a as a uh, test case and i think it's great uh, the one you know if you've you've got to look on the bright side in a in a disaster like this and and the one thing that i find heartening is that it's pulling us all together to to think about yeah. solutions to think about how much we treasure these ecosystems, how much they really mean to us, and it's increasing awareness. But the way the community is pulling together, I, I think, is is very admirable.
1: Doctor, please stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Dr. David Guggenheim is our special guest, One oneplanetoneocean.org. I'll be back with a good doctor on the other side of this news break. Don't go away.
0: Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save.
2: If your litter box could talk, what would it say to you? Good morning. Lovely day, isn't it? Or perhaps... What's up with all the clay dust and chemicals you're laying on me and the cat? If that's the case, consider World's Best Cat Litter. It's virtually dust-free, quick clumping and lasts twice as long as clay litter. And because it's made from corn, it's chemical free and a naturally safe choice. World's best cat litter, the number one selling natural litter
0: brand for a reason. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile Service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores, so stop by today our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and Auto Pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Um.
1: On MSN Messenger, Exxon Radio TV at hotmail.com. And our website, TV.com. Why
2: do I feel like I'm losing control?
1: On this useless night With you so far away I stand in front of this very sweet And I wonder What am I doing here And I wonder What am I doing here And all the drums Just stumble by And mumble there and welcome back, everyone. Dr. David Guggenheim is our special guest, www.oneplanetoneocean.org. Doctor, when you're out talking to the kids in the schools uh, on this wonderful project you're on, what kind of questions do they ask you, and how do they react to what's going on in the Gulf?
3: Boy, I get some great questions. In fact, I had a fourth-grade class in Virginia, submit ten really creative ideas for dealing with the oil spill and I'm just delighted that they are fully engaged in this issue this is a this is a life learning issue for them it's about something that is part of their future unfortunately it's a problem that they will inherit uh, and um, you know kids are very creative well, one of the questions I get, I get a lot of questions about sharks and Uh, It's the 35th anniversary of the movie Jaws, and my message to them, I mean, I'm surprised kids are terrified of sharks, really terrified of sharks, and I think it's a product of of Shark Week and other sort of sensational TV that I know that these kids watch, and unfortunately they're not getting the message that humans – are a much greater threat to sharks than sharks are to humans we 've managed to kill about ninety percent of the world 's sharks over the last fifty years, and you 're about three hundred times more likely to be killed by a deer than you are by a shark um, because you know we drive down the road and we run into deer, and that can be a fatal a fatal encounter mm-hmm. unfortunately. So part of it is undoing some of the myths and some of the fear of the oceans. I also get a lot of questions about the submarine. I pilot a small one-person submersible. And what I realize is kids are really curious, but they don't realize. There's a sense that we've already explored everything. And they are absolutely shocked when I say, you know what? We've only explored 5% of the world's oceans. We've been busy in outer space. We know more about the backside of the moon than we do about the bottom of the ocean. And I say, don't ever let anybody tell you that there's nothing left to explore because you guys are the ones that are going to have to work on that other 95%. There's a lot out there to explore. And then in the same breath, I usually get a question of, of, um, do I get to eat snacks when I'm in the sub? (laughs) because they can't imagine that I'm away from food for four to six hours. And uh, I think we have a bit of a snack obsessed younger generation right now, but I, you know, I take that in in stride. I think it's, it's a fair question. Uh, But I'm, I'm very inspired by these kids. There's a great love of the oceans, even Mm -hmm. in the States where I'm visiting kids and, where, where half the kids have never even seen an ocean, they're already in love with it. And all we need to do is, is, uh, you know, take advantage of that and really get them, you know, continue to spark their interest, give them opportunities to learn more about it.
1: Now, how deep does your sub actually go, doctor? And what's the deepest you've gone in your
3: submersible? I've, gone to about 2,000 feet, which is the limit of this particular sub. These are built in Vancouver up in British Columbia mm-hmm. by a company called Newtco, and they are the smallest submarines. It's a one-person submersible called the Deep Worker. It flies completely independently. There's no tether to the surface, you are always at one atmosphere of pressure, meaning it's the same pressure you would feel in your living room. So you don't have any of the problems with pressure that a scuba diver would. Mm -hmm. So you can go up and down. You don't feel your ears pop. You don't have to decompress. And you've got enough battery power to last, uh, as I say, the average dive four to six hours. But in an emergency, you can... Generate enough air supply to stay down for 80 hours, wow. more than three days, which is long enough to fly a rescue helicopter or a rescue sub in from anywhere in the world, if if that were necessary. But I feel very safe in these subs. I feel a lot safer than driving on the Washington D.C. Beltway. I'll tell you that.
1: You know, I've been there. I've <laughs> driven it. And I understand exactly <laughs> what you mean,
3: Doctor. What do you think would
1: happen if we were to to spend all the resources that we spend and I'm talking about worldwide on space exploration and concentrate on the oceans
3: there's a, a an interesting question there because it might have gone that way had it not been for the cold war it Believe it or not, it was 50 years ago this year. We celebrated here in Washington 50 years ago that Don Walsh and French explorer Jacques Picard made their historic dive in a bathyscaphe to the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean in the Mariana Trench, seven miles down, which is like if you climbed Mount Everest, there would... Uh, if you put Mount Everest at the bottom of that, that trench and climbed to the top, there would still be another mile of water on top of mm-hmm. your head. That's how deep that is. They made this historic journey, 1960, and we've never been back. And there are no submarines in the world that can go even half of that depth today. And it really illustrates that we have focused our attentions elsewhere, and we associate exploration, the final frontier, with outer space. Now, space exploration, I've been a big fan of, and I would, I would be careful about taking money away from the space program, but I sure would like to see it more in balance because there are so many mysteries. Yeah. Every expedition I've been on, including in the Gulf of Mexico, we've pulled up new species uh, things that no human eyes have ever seen before. And I worry that with this oil spill, these animals will be gone before we can ever even discover them.
1: It must... Uh, when you're down in your in your submersible, have you come across any life form that has never been seen before?
3: Uh, several times. Uh, in... Bering Sea, I was on an expedition actually along with Greenpeace. It was a partnership of Greenpeace and NOAA, an interesting partnership on the uh, uh, Greenpeace ship Esperanza looking at deep sea corals. And these are corals, we usually associate corals with the tropics, but Corals grow all over the world and even in cold water. They are the oldest living animals on the planet. They can live up to four thousand years old, and it's an amazing sight to get down to two thousand feet and see these beautiful they look like little trees of pink and orange and and various colors all all over the place. You know, it makes you really appreciate that even in the darkest corners in the cold water. That life can flourish. The problem up there is that we um, we see trawlers going through, dragging the bottom. It's essentially strip mining the bottom and killing those corals in the blink of an eye. What may have taken centuries to to grow, but they uh, during that expedition we found a new species of sponge, which is a colonial animal that we associate with doing the dishes, but it's a, it's a, it's a very important animal to that, that ecosystem. And we found corals that had never been documented in the Bering Sea before. And so that was, uh, that was very exciting. In the Gulf of Mexico, about five years ago, we found a giant nudibranch. It's the size of a dinner plate. And a nudibranch is essentially a sea slug. It's a giant snail with no shell and it was purple. It was this big purple blob. And then we realized, hey, that, that thing has antennae. Hmm. It's got two little antennae. And, you know, everybody's scratching their head saying, never saw it before. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's what keeps you young. I mean, and, and it also, I've always said that exploration and conservation go hand in hand because the more you explore and the more you find, the more you realize, uh that so much is at risk if we don't take care of it. So much of the deep that we thought was um, dead is thriving with life.
1: Something I I, I read where uh, you said, uh, where you actually did a blog and it's entitled Want to Help the Gulf Kill Your Lawn? What's that about?
3: (laughs) Well, it's a bit of a provocative title, but when you look at this giant, Dead zone, well, let me back up and just say that i I talk to a lot of people, and there 's an amazing amount of frustration you know we 're all watching this this leak day after day, uh, this plume of oil erupting into the Gulf, and we feel helpless we feel like there 's nothing we can do about it. Some people have donated hair, some people have donated money mm-hmm. uh, and but I was thinking about the fact that here we've got this enormous dead zone that's getting larger, and we've got 38 U.S. states and a bit of Saskatchewan and Alberta also connected directly to the Gulf of Mexico along with the Gulf states themselves. And most of these homes in those areas have lawns because – back in the 1800s we became infatuated with what was going on in Europe and in England and everybody had lawns and mm-hmm. there was a uh, this this sense that we all needed to outcompete our neighbors and have the greenest lawn on the block but we're using so much fertilizer and water and all of that ends up in our water bodies and much of it ends up in the gulf and is contributing to the problem. So I was using the example of a wonderful program in Florida called the Florida Yards and Neighborhoods Program, which is working in conjunction with the government and it's donating to citizens free information and free training on how to replant your lawn uh, with native vegetation, which the beauty is you don't have to water or fertilize it because it's native. It it's already used to living there. It's an ideal solution, and it actually attracts wildlife. And imagine if, if many of us did this, mm-hmm. it, would, it would really make a difference. And it's, it's one thing we can literally do in our own backyards that can help the Gulf of Mexico.
1: Next our special guest this hour is Dr. David Guggenheim, and his website is ocean. If the President of the United States was to call you up, Doctor, and say, Dr. David, I'm putting you in charge of the cleanup of the Gulf of Mexico because of your qualifications, what would you do? How would you handle that task?
3: That would be a scary phone call because that's a huge responsibility but I'll tell you, the first thing I would do would be to stop using these dispersants. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a huge mistake. It's, it, the problem is it's an uncontrolled experiment. It's never been done before. We've never applied dispersants at depth. And I am very concerned that we are simply displacing the problem. We may be keeping a little more oil off some of the beaches, but we're sending it Further south and into many other different kinds of ecosystems, as a, as a consequence. Um, the other thing that I would do is I would, you know, I would certainly ramp up the efforts. It seems that we have a huge number of people with vessels, with two hands, with big hearts, at, who want to help, but there's nothing to really you know, latch to for these folks. There's no place to go, no place to sign up. There's a few conservation organizations doing great work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Vessel of Opportunity program that NOAA has, which is great. But I think that we could kick that up a notch and really harness the passion and the, the volunteerism yeah. that, that, that that's, exists in this country to, to get things done.
1: I agree. Doctor, please stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. ExoNation, it's been a great hour with our guest this uh, hour, Dr. David Guggenheim. Uh, www.oneplanetoneocean.org, that's the number one, then planet, the number one, ocean.org. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide toll free. Email exxon at xonradio on MSN Messenger exxonradiotv Radio tv at hotmail.com and our website ww.exonoradio Once again, for more information on doctor David Guggenheim, www.oneplanetoneocean.org one Don't go away. Tell me what is the
3: use, and I wonder what am I doing? Here
2: Don't know when I've been so blue. Don't know what's come over you You found someone
0: And don't it make my brown eyes blue I'll be fine when you're gone I'll just cry
3: all night long
1: Exonation, Doctor David Guggenheim is our special guest. One Planet One Ocean. What about the seafood in the Gulf, Doctor? Is
3: it safe? Well, at this point, the uh, the authorities have closed down a significant portion of of the Gulf to <laughs> fishing because it's believed that those fish are are toxic right. uh, and shellfish. Uh, that's about a third of the, the fishing areas. But again, this is a long-term issue. And even if the government declares seafood safe to eat, I'm afraid that you know the, the consumers are, are a fickle bunch yeah. and easily scared off. This could have long-term implications for the Gulf of Mexico and its fishing industry. One of the things I've proposed is that we take a look at the newest technology for growing fish on land as a way to help that industry recover and create an adjunct that is sustainable. Fish these, are systems, these are systems mm. that are used in, uh, in Europe and in Asia and Australia, not so much in the Americas yet, but think of it as a large water treatment facility with a fish tank it recirculates 99 yeah. percent of its water no chemicals or antibiotics and no discharge and they can be put inland close to where the fish is going to be consumed and uh, i've seen these systems as small as little backyard systems as and as large in in Denmark I saw one that was a thousand tons per year supplying 20 wow. percent of the eel to the European market they really love eel over there I don't know why it's a it's a festive fish around uh, the holidays instead mm. of eating turkey they eat uh, eel
1: or like they do now uh, in in uh, I think where is it uh, Oregon where they're killing off the Canadian geese <laughs>
3: Anyway, oh, that's another really? th- did you hear that yeah man.
1: there there's a park in Oregon in one of the cities I forget which one it is that uh they, there's so many Canadian geese that are defecating on their parks they they killed hundred and fifty of them, I believe, and they gave the meat to the uh to the homeless <laughs>
3: well, how about that <laughs> well, um I'm sorry, you didn't you know, mean to what, get you off track uh, no no, I'm gonna. Uh, what I was going to mention is that just recently I've been spending time in Vancouver Mm -hmm. uh, and the British Columbian government and uh, local business community and the seafood industry have all gotten together to address the fact that there are opportunities to grow salmon on land and keep that region in the salmon business. And, and I think that's a great model for, uh, for the Gulf of Mexico. So what I'm hoping to do in the next few weeks is to have a, a strategic workshop in the Gulf region to kind of pull some bright minds together and look at this and see if we can't get that region to rebuild itself. A whole new industry, called, industry a whole
1: new industry called fish, uh, fish farming. Doctor, I want to thank you so much for joining us. great pleasure. Look forward to the next time you're here with us in the Exxon and from the planet Earth to you doctor. Thank you for all the wonderful things that you're doing. Thanks so much. My great pleasure, sir. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break at six and a half minutes past as we continue right here in the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
0: Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details.
2: Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would.